Is China a developing nation? The U.S. House of Representatives says not so fast, passing a bill to revoke that status. Congress members voting that the world's second largest economy should not get those benefits. In the spotlight, the billions China has spent bailing out developing countries. The vast majority of them fall under Beijing's global infrastructure initiative, the Belt and Road. A new report shedding light on the opaque nature of China's deals. But is the bill enough to change the game? Welcome to China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. What counts as a developing country? The House of Representatives unanimously passing a bill aiming to strip China of its developing nation status. The bill seeks to cut China's access to special treatment in international treaties, agreements and organizations that go to a developing nation. The bill's co-sponsor, Representative Yang Kim, speaking on the floor. We cannot let the PRC continue exploiting countries in need and take unfair advantage of international treaties and organizations. The bill would require the State Department to take certain actions to stop China from being classified as a developing country by international organizations. The bill passed 415 to zero. It's headed to the Senate next for consideration. This is the latest in growing scrutiny over how the Chinese regime exploits the rules-based international order for its own benefit and often profit. Now, as for where that money has gone, China has spent billions on loans to other developing countries over the past decades as part of its Belt and Road Initiative. That's Beijing's infrastructure plan used to grow its global influence across Asia, Africa and Europe. Those deals pushed Beijing to become one of the world's top creditors. But now it's having to bail out the countries it lends to. A new study by U.S.-based research lab Ad Data found that China spent $240 billion to bail out 22 countries between 2008 and 2021. Those included Argentina, Pakistan and Kenya and were almost exclusively Belt and Road Project participants. Over 150 countries have signed up for China's Belt and Road. Xi Jinping first unveiled it over a decade ago. Ad data study notes the massive rise in lending over the years, rising 12-fold in just over a decade. The report also points to the opaque nature of these deals, as compared to other international lenders. China is negotiating debt restructurings with countries like Sri Lanka, which lists Beijing as its biggest bilateral creditor. For more on the new House bill and issues related to China's economy, we spoke to Kelly Sloan, Senior Fellow in Energy and Environment of the Centennial Institute. Here's his breakdown. Kelly Sloan, thank you so much for joining us. Great to have you back on the show. Great being here as always. So the House of Representatives has unanimously passed a bill that aims to strip China of its developing nation status. That gives it a lot of special benefits. So if this were to actually become law and steps would be implemented, what would happen to China? Well, I think this is a, a positive first step. Uh, it still, of course, has to clear the Senate, uh, which I think it, it has a pretty good chance of doing. <clears throat> all, the, all this bill really does is directs the Secretary of State's office to pursue stripping China of that status, uh, which, as you said, gives it some uh, preferential treatment, which never doesn't really make any sense considering that China's the world's second largest economy right now. I think it will have uh, a psychological impact uh, on, the, on the Chinese Communist Party, and I, I certainly do think it will help to 
kind of even the even the playing field internationally in terms of trade and that. Uh, at least a little bit. The U.S. has been passing a lot of bills recently, the most recent one being maybe the Inflation Reduction Act that really aimed to, well, help inflation. But it was more to kind of boost green energies and all these other sectors. But with that, it seems China has really cornered the market in terms of the green energy sector. So would China actually benefit under this Inflation Reduction Act? The uh, Inflation Reduction Act was in in many ways, a, a climate act. It, uh, it incentivized a lot of green green technology within the United States, and um, and as you said, you know, China pretty much has a uh, has a corner on the market for the raw materials for a lot of the green technologies, uh, uh, batteries, uh, EV batteries, solar panels, uh, you know, the rare earth minerals that create all those things, uh, and they're also central to overall the supply chain for for all these materials. So domestic market or domestic manufacturing capabilities in, in some of these areas does happen to take off that could hurt China. Uh, but again, if it does, that's going to be uh, quite, uh, quite a ways off. It's not going to, not going to happen in the next few months uh, or even a few years. It seems in terms of the solar industry, the U.S. used to lead in that sector, but now China is dominating. So how did we end up in this scenario where China is dominating something that the U.S. started? China was fairly smart about trying to corner the market. Of course, they have a planned economy. Uh, they've invested a lot more, uh, indirected a lot more of their uh, national capital towards solar panels, EVs, batteries, that, that kind of thing, uh, uh, dwarfing uh, uh, American investment uh, domestically. And uh, they also have, you know, have the, the ability with their kind of command structure uh, to expropriate whatever they need to from the private sector into some of these grand grand designs. So, of course, that uh, uh, helped to allow their solar panel industry to uh, to explode, to expand as rapidly as it did, uh, which is, I think, uh, a little bit of a detriment to the U.S. if we are pursuing policies that mandate more solar panels. Now, Again, I think that's uh, that's a political decision. I think the the push for some of our legislators to try and encourage the market to go in a place where it's not ready to go or that uh, is going to be naturally inefficient, while in the short term it may benefit Chinese companies, uh, in the long term I think that will hurt uh, hurt the American economy. Well, Kelly Sloan, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Fighting a crime against humanity, the House passing a sweeping bill to combat forced organ harvesting. That is, harvesting organs from victims while they're still alive. It's a practice the Chinese Communist Party has long been accused of engaging in. NTD spoke to the bill's lead sponsor, Representative Chris Smith, for details. Let's dive in. More than a million dollar fine plus up to 20 years behind bars. That's what Americans could face if they facilitate forced organ harvesting anywhere in the world. The new penalty listed in a bill just passed the House. The goal? To combat a crime long happening in countries like China. Every year, under General Secretary Xi Jinping and his Chinese Communist Party, between 60,000 to 100,000 young victims, average age 28, are murdered in cold blood to steal their organs. 
These crimes against humanity are unimaginably cruel. For years, China has been matching patients with organs at speeds unimaginable in the West. Last year, securing a heart for a patient in Wuhan took four days. In 2020, doctors presented a Chinese woman with four hearts to choose from in just 10 days. And in 2005, after a phone call from a top Chinese health official, two hospitals in China delivered two livers to that official within 24 hours. Over in the U.S., it's common for patients to wait a year for a heart. Right now, over 100,000 Americans are on the national transplant wait list. It's common for patients to die waiting. Without a voluntary organ donation system like America's, China became the top destination for organ tourism in early 2000s. Foreigners traveled to China for organs, drawn in by the extreme short wait times. A question the West has been asking China for years, where do the organs come from? Ethnic groups targeted for this mass harvesting include Uyghurs, who suffer from Xi Jinping's ongoing genocide, and the Falun Gong, whose peaceful meditation and exercise practices and exceptional good health make their organs highly desirable. Uyghurs are a Muslim minority from China's Xinjiang region, while Falun Gong is a peaceful meditation practice with followers spread across China and the globe. Beijing has been persecuting both, arresting, detaining, and torturing them inside prisons, with numbers in the millions. Reports of Beijing's forced organ harvesting first came to light in 2006. Fast forward to 2023, it's still going on. We also know through open source Chinese language media that, that elderly, high-ranking Chinese Communist Party officials have received replacement organs from the very people they despise, like the Falun Gong, like the Uyghurs, and oppose. And there's one particular hospital, Army Hospital 301 in Beijing, that excels at this. NTD caught up with Representative Smith after the vote. Smith noted there's a lack of action in U.S. policy. Where is the president, the secretary of state, uh, right on down the line, but starting with the president and the vice president, raising this face to face? with Xi Jinping and their interlocutors uh, uh, as they meet. Have you heard of it? I haven't. He added forced organ harvesting is big business for the Chinese Communist Party and shows no sign of abating. So the rest of the world needs to step up to combat the practice. Next, let's zoom in on two lawsuits in the cryptocurrency sector, a $40 million bribe to Chinese officials. This is what U.S. prosecutors accuse Sam Bankman-Fried, the founder of FTX cryptocurrency exchange, of conspiring to arrange. The allegations come on top of Bankman-Fried's 13-count indictment. FTX was one of the world's largest cryptocurrency exchanges before it was headed toward bankruptcy last November. The indictment said Bankman-Fried ordered the $40 million cryptocurrency payment to persuade Chinese authorities to unfreeze certain accounts. These accounts were tied to his Alameda Research Hedge Fund and held $1 billion worth of cryptocurrency. Prosecutors said the accounts had been frozen as part of an investigation by Chinese authorities. As the other crypto-linked lawsuit, the world's largest crypto exchange is being sued by a U.S. financial regulator, and it's a Chinese company. Binance and its founder Changpeng Zhao are accused of illegally operating in the U.S. and running what the regulator called a sham compliance program. This comes as Chinese-owned short video app TikTok remains in the hot seat. Here 
are the details. The Commodity Futures Trading Commission accused Binance on Monday of willful evasion of U.S. law while profiting from U.S. customers and business from at least July 2019. It also said that its compliance program had been ineffective and, under the direction of Zhao, employees and customers were told to circumvent compliance controls. Binance has defended its practices. In a statement, Zhao described the complaint as unexpected and disappointing, adding that they did not agree with the characterization of many of the issues alleged in the complaint. The lawsuit comes amid a broader and increasingly high-profile crackdown on crypto companies. Binance was founded in Shanghai in 2017 and sits at the heart of the industry. Its core Binance.com exchange processed trades worth about $23 trillion this year, according to data provided by CryptoCompare. If the claims are proven in U.S. court, Binance could face hefty fines or even the shutdown of its U.S. business. Taiwan's former president, Ma Ying-jeou, is marking a historic trip to China. The trip will make him the first current or former Taiwanese leader to visit China since the 1949 civil war between them. It's being billed as an effort to defuse hostilities, but is also facing backlash from Taiwan's ruling political party. Here's more. One of the former presidents of Taiwan is making a historic trip to China, becoming the first past or current Taiwanese leader visit since the 1949 civil war between them. But the trip, which is being billed as an effort to lessen their worsening hostilities, is also being condemned by the political party that rules Taiwan, which is questioning why former President Ma Ying-jeou has decided to visit now. This was the start of Ma's trip in Nanjing, China on Tuesday. He's talking about shared ethnicity. People on both sides of the Taiwan Strait are Chinese people and are both descendants of the Yan and Yellow Emperors. Today, many of the nation-building proposals held dear by the founding father of the country have been realized in Taiwan and the mainland. Ma was visiting the burial site of Sun Yat-sen, who was celebrated by both sides for overthrowing the last Chinese emperor in 1911. Sun is also considered the founder of the Republic of China, the government that was driven onto Taiwan by communists during the Civil War. Taiwan's official name is the Republic of China to this day. Polls suggest that most modern Taiwanese people do not identify as Chinese, though. Ma's visit is part of an outreach effort by the political party he belongs to, the opposition party called Kuomintang, which traditionally favors close relations with China but strongly denies being pro-Beijing. He is not scheduled to meet with any senior Beijing leaders on this trip. Outside the place where Chinese officials welcomed Ma, a Chinese man was taken away by police. That's after commenting on the situation. During Ma's visit of the burial site of Sun Yat-sen on Tuesday, tourists were barred from entering the place. One tourist was captured on video criticizing Ma, asking what's so great about him and saying he didn't bring peace. That's when police approached him, asking him to stop. He responded, quote, I'm not booing Ma, I'm speaking matter-of-factly. In the end, he was arrested. 
North Korea once again doubling down on hostility towards the West. On Tuesday, U.S. aircraft carrier the USS Nimitz docked at a South Korean port for a joint military exercise. The drill joined by U.S. and South Korean naval forces, aiming to strategically deter North Korea. The U.S. strike group commander says that the military drill was held only to enforce international order. And we don't see conflict with our with DPRK, the PRC. Um, we really are practicing and assuring our allies at the very basic maritime security level. The DPRK stands for Democratic People's Republic of Korea, while the PRC signifies the People's Republic of China. The commander also said the U.S. won't back down. North Korea, on the other hand, test-launched two ballistic missiles just one day before the ship's docking. The country has reportedly fired off more than 20 missiles this year alone. North Korean leader Kim Jong-un has called for expanding the nation's nuclear weapons production. The country also unveiled new, smaller nuclear warheads. U.S. college students are turning away from China. Statistics show that the number of Americans studying in China has fallen to its lowest point in over 20 years. Here are the details. In the 2020 to 21 academic year, the figure dipped to less than 400, a 97 percent plunge from the 12,000 before the pandemic. The Wall Street Journal reported on this trend, citing China's three-year harsh pandemic curbs as the cause. On the other hand, the report predicts that the number won't pick up with China's reopening. That's in light of geopolitical tensions between the two countries, as well as growing distrust about China in the U.S. Experts say a rebound will take at least a few more years, if ever. Coming up, James Fennell, retired U.S. Navy captain and former director of intelligence for the U.S. Pacific Fleet, says China's goal is to displace the United States and ultimately become the world's superpower. I think American people now are starting to wake up. What we need to do is hold our elected officials to account to not just talk, but to institute real actions that will protect us from the predatory nature of the Chinese Communist Party. More on that after the break, here on China in Focus. Welcome back to China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. The U.S. is grappling with major spying concerns linked to China. The spy balloons, spy buoys, and even spy satellites, to name a few. But experts say espionage isn't Beijing's ultimate goal. James Fennell, retired U.S. Navy captain and former director of intelligence for the U.S. Pacific Fleet, says the Chinese communist regime wants to displace the United States and become the world's top superpower. Here's what he had to say. And they're well on their way to achieving their goals, uh, and their, their, their ideas... Uh, you know, they want to displace America from being the center of, uh, you know, calling the shots, if you will. They believe that that's what we do, that we sit around and manipulate the world, and they want to do that. Uh, and they also have, just in, in the intelligence arena, they have had extreme angst and anguish. Well, maybe anguish is a little bit not a good word, but they seem to be frustrated, very frustrated by the U.S. being able to sail and steam and 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 freely move throughout the first island chain. And we have reconnaissance platforms that have been operating there since the 1970s, since the, in the height of the Cold War. We operated there with ships 
and aircraft, and we operate in international waters outside of territorial waters at 12 nautical miles, and we've been doing that. And we're, we're not hiding it. It's not a super secret. We're not clandestinely doing things, and they don't like that, and they want us out of there. So part of their activity towards us, I think we will see much more as them increasing the overt nature of their intelligence collection against the United States. So we should expect to see intelligence ships, for instance. We've already seen them come out to Hawaii for exercise Rim of the Pacific in 2012, 2014, and other times, where they send their ships out to spy on our exercise. We should expect that to come to the West Coast. We should expect that on the East Coast, much like the Soviet Union did during the Cold War uh, that we had with the, the Soviets. And on that note, what is the difference? How is it different between what the U.S. does and China does in terms of intelligence gathering? Well, I think they're, I mean, in many ways, they're behind us in certain ways because they just haven't been doing it as long as we have. Um, but they've gained a lot of information uh, about how we do intelligence. If you recall the EP3 uh, crisis of April of 20, uh, 2001, uh, when our uh, EP3 uh, crashed on Hainan Island after it was struck by a Chinese fighter. Uh, they held that that aircraft for quite a long time, and you know, probably got some good information off of it. So we know that they're aware and they study us. So they're going to school to try to be able to understand and use intelligence to gain information that will help them, uh, in the worst case, in a combat environment. In a in a in a maybe non-kinetic case, they, they'll want to gain information that can put our forces in a position of risk or embarrassment or something of that nature. And given all these different areas, say the spy balloon, these spy buoys, these spy satellites, and these lasers, how should the U.S. be responding? What should we be doing? Well, we have to be on our, on our game. We should have, in my opinion, we should have been much more aggressive and proactive when we saw that balloon enter into the Alaskan Air Defense Identification Zone, hundreds of miles away from uh, Alaska, we could have, you know, maybe done something. Uh, so we need to be much more attuned on the step, ready to respond uh, with with things of that nature. Now, we, I'm not suggesting that we shoot an arm, uh, manned uh, aircraft or manned ships. You know, I'm not saying that. What I am suggesting is we need to be aware where they're at. We should be monitoring them, checking them and also publicizing when China does the very thing that they complain about. They complain about the United States operating and other nations, not just the United States, that, that when we operate in the South China Sea, and they say that's not, you know, shouldn't be allowed, that's our territorial water, even though that's a gross exaggeration. They, they claim that. So when their ships do similar things, we should call out their hypocrisy. And as you mentioned, Jim, it seems it really does impact all these different sectors of America, right? The pandemic, we saw the medical sector, also fentanyl, and then our pension funds. But with all the areas covered, any last words you'd like to add? No, I just, uh, I think uh, what we're watching today is, is really concerning. Uh, I think American people now are starting to wake up. What we need to do is hold our elected officials to account to not just talk, but to institute real actions that will protect us from the predatory nature of the Chinese Communist Party. And we're not gonna allow Chinese influence or operations, or we're not gonna put our, you know, maybe you live in a state where you have the ability to vote on your retirement fund. Where should that go? 
Well, you don't want it to go to the People's Republic of China. You want it to stay out of their hands. You don't want to give them more money that they will use to turn around and make us slaves. So that's some of the things that people can do. If you're a young person and you're really interested in, you know, doing something in that regard, you know, there's always, you can join the military. I mean, there's some issues in the military today with some woke culture and whatnot, but uh, I think we need good people to, willing to stand up and defend the nation and the values that we stand for. That's all for today's China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. If you have any feedback on the show or have something you'd like to see us cover, send us an email at chinainfocus at ntd.com. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for watching. See you tomorrow.